So I am Nathan Detweiler. I'm the senior pastor here. We are beginning a new series this week, which will take us through the summer, leading us into our series on the book of Acts. And this is a series about God, about knowing God. It's called, Tell Me All Your Thoughts on God. Who knows that song? Tell me all your thoughts on God. Never heard that? It's a great song, but a child of the, of the teenager in the 90s, I guess, and I, that's kind of something that was on my mind, so there you go. For the three people that get the reference, we're talking about knowing God. The fact that we can know God is an amazing thing, but God has seen fit to reveal himself to us. In the middle of the 20th century, there arose someone who I consider to be a real modern-day prophet. He spoke truth into the culture. And he actually kind of predicted the future, which is another aspect of prophecy that gets more press than the speaking truth part. Both are prophecy. The name was A.W. Tozer. The church in the mid-1900s was growing. There was all kinds of movements happening. It seemed like revival, like everything was getting better and better and better. So most people, most pastors, would look at that situation and say, good, everything's great. But what do prophets do, right? <laughs> you know anything about prophets, they, they see the things that are actually going on, and they call them for what they are. So we're very thankful to have these types of people. So Tozer said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he said, the church is, is growing in crazy ways and leaps and bounds, but I fear we have a chink in our armor, and if we don't deal with this, we're going to see serious trouble in the future. And he identified that chink in, their arm, in the armor of the church as entertaining lower thoughts of God than were appropriate. We are made in God's image. Our personalities mirror God's personality. He was the first great personality. There's many things about us that reflect God. But make no mistake about it, God transcends anything that you know of a person and their personality. God is greater. God is greater. But sometimes, over time, people can diminish their view of God to the point that he's a person times three, maybe the best person you know. They take an idea like his holiness and they bring it down, his omnipresence, that he's everywhere, his omniscience, that he's all-knowing, all these different qualities, and bring them down. And Tozer said that what happens when people start entertaining lower thoughts of God than are appropriate is their lives change based on their view of God. Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what comes to mind when they think about God. And from what comes to mind when someone thinks about God, you can determine with some degree of certainty the spiritual future of that person. This is heady stuff. But I believe that the church, and particularly we feel it in the Northeast, we're not exactly in the Bible Belt. <laughs> not that that's like a great thing, but we're not, there's not a church on every corner. In the Northeast, in North America, I feel that our view of God is too low, and because of it, 
our lives and our churches have reflected a lack of knowledge. And so I'm really excited about looking at God for who he is in this series, for who he is. Because God has seen fit to reveal himself through creation, through the scriptures, and through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And I'm excited to see, uh, see the truth of who God is and see what God does through that. When we hear a verse, like Psalm 46, it tells us, be still and know that I am God. That's hard for most people. Because when they're still and they think about who God is, their thoughts aren't always very transcendent uh, to where God actually is, but they're low. So it's hard to even hold your attention. But what if you felt the weight of the glory of God on your life? The weight of the glory of God. God's majesty, God's power, God's authority. What if you felt that? What if you believed that God was present everywhere? And you just, having this high view of God in your mind, you sit and you read this verse in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. You are God. You are holy. You are worthy of my praise. You are all-powerful. You are in control. You know all things. And so as I lay the secrets of my heart bare before you, you know them before I speak them. You are just in all of your ways. The power of the resurrection that raised Jesus Christ to life lives within me by the Holy Spirit. None of the concerns of my life are significant when you are in the presence of the Almighty God. They're just paltry. They're paltry. This week, I got overcome with anxiety for about a day and a half. And because I didn't know what to do about it, because it was rather crushing, I texted three or four people that I know that pray, and it was lifted from my life. We get worried and upset about many things. But God says only one thing is needful. Sit in my presence, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted above the earth. Your job, the difficulties you're having there, are nothing for God. The difficulties in your personal life, your sin problem, all of these things. As we are still in the presence of a God who's correctly thought about, we're thinking the truth about God, all of these temporal concerns just start to melt away because God, and God has placed his affection on us. God has created us with personalities that are like his in the sense that they're relational. You know, we are, we are created in God's image. And as we relate to God for who he really is, all of the temporal concerns of our lives, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear, all of these things melt away. And all that's left is this overwhelming, crushing weight of the glory of God in the world realized properly. God has made a way for us temporal beings to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ and then to continue to know him, to know him, to know him every day of our lives. And you will never plumb the depths of the knowledge of God. There's always more to know. And for the Christian who is satisfied with knowledge of salvation, your salvation is foundational through Jesus Christ. It's probably the most important truth that you can hold in your mind about your relationship with God. 
But that's not it. God saved you for more than just your salvation. He saved you more than for just a check mark in the Lamb's Book of Life. He saved you so that you could be his friend. And that sounds very trite, but that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants to his disciples. I call you friends because servants do not know what the master's business is. But let me tell you something about God. Not only does God want you to tell him your business, and he already knows it, by the way, but he wants you to tell it to him. He wants to share with you his business. He wants you to be caught up in something far larger than your own small life, than the anxieties we face from day to day. He wants us to automatically come to him and share our business with him uh, all the time, and he will share his business with us. I think that the most great cry of the human heart is for uh, intimacy, knowing someone and being known by someone. This is why people get married. This is why people get disappointed in marriage, because <laughs> we want to be known in a very deep way. We want to be known uh, we want to be known fully in our failures. We want to be able to share a testimony about, hey, I'm struggling with this thing, and have someone know that about us and still love us. We want to be known. Um, when you get, people are often surprised when they first get married because they did not expect how much baggage was going to come up with their spouse. And everyone brings a lot of baggage into marriage. But you come into the marriage and your hope is, subconsciously, once I'm in this secure relationship, then I can start unpacking these bags. I can have someone know me and accept me and love me and be fully known by them. This is kind of what God's built into the creation. And it's, it's how you get to know someone. Um, when you feel like someone knows you, when you get someone, you instinctively, God's placed this in all of us, have a desire to share more of yourself with them. And then, as you share more of yourself with them in a healthy relationship, they will rise to the occasion and share more of themselves with you. And then you'll share more of themselves with them until someone says, enough. Until someone says, enough. That's as deep as I'm willing to go at this point in time in my life. This is how our human relationships work. And this is also how relationships work in the heart of God. And it's beyond just basic textbook knowledge uh, of, of a person or, or God Uh, that this works. Because we have a word for people that have a textbook knowledge of someone but don't really know them. It's called being a stalker. (laughs) It's called being a stalker. I have a great stalker song. This is great. This is by one of my favorite artists. He wrote a song called Password. It's about someone who got the password to someone's email account, who they were infatuated with and learned all kinds of stuff about them, and has confidence about their knowledge. And I'm going to sing it for you. I know you. You think I don't, but I do. I've been listening and I don't forget so I can do this. I can pass the test. You went to school in Chicago. Your mom's maiden name is Dupree. Your favorite actor is De Niro. Your birthday is 0308-83. I know you. You think it's weird, but it's not. You're looking at it all upside down. It actually means I really love you. You used to have a dog called Manti. You only drink Chardonnay. Your sister's pet name is Cece. And you've got a thing for David Blaine. I don't know you. I thought I did, 
but I don't. I wasn't listening to the right things, and one day I won't even remember your face. That's a pretty heavy little poem. The point is, you can have a lot of knowledge about someone, but not really know them. You don't know them in the sense of being known and being fully known by them. And that's called being a stalker. God wants to know you and be fully known by you. And the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, this is the, the goal of our faith, okay? When we see Jesus, they always do the, the love chapter when you get married. This is chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Everyone knows the first part. But listen to this. When Jesus comes, this is what it says. For now in this life we see only a reflection as in a mirror but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know in full, even as I am fully known. The cry of God's heart is for this relationship where we know him for who he is. And then though he knows all things, we share with him everything that we have. And we have this relationship with him of being known and being fully known. It will not become perfect in this lifetime. It won't become perfect until we see Jesus face to face. But far too many people stop at salvation and they cease to seek to know who God is and seek, and, and they certainly cease to share with God the truth of who they are. And so there's not that knowledge. It's, it's more like that stalker relationship, knowing someone, but not really knowing them in intimacy. You could have, you know, a friend, for instance, who's a very compassionate, empathetic person, right? Uh, And you might think, oh, they're just compassionate and empathetic, really nice to people around them. You know that about them, right? But what you don't know is how they got that way. You don't know the truth that they battled with severe problems in their life, that they overcame, and that they became this person. And that's, that's how they became this person that you see today. That's true knowledge, And that's the kind of knowledge that God wants us to go after with him, to know him, to know his ways. And as we are reading the Bible together, this is why I'm doing this series. It's it's in response to the Bible. We're reading through the Old Testament in the Essential 100 as a church. And what I'm seeing is people that know God in such an intimate way that it's remarkable. It is um, inspiring to me, honestly. These dead people are very inspirational to me. Look at a person like Miriam, who is Moses' sister, after God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, and they're walking through the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and his armies are swallowed up, and they are set free from slavery. And Miriam sings this song about God, and it's full of intimate knowledge. Like, this is how you are, God. You're just, you're wise, you're powerful. You do all, you know, just all these things come out that she knows about God. You look at a person like David, and if you read the Psalms, I mean, it's, it's remarkable what he knows about God. He knows things, I don't know how he figured them out, but he knew them. He knew God in a way beyond just the first steps of the Christian faith. He knew God very deeply. Uh, all of these people, Jacob, um, Elijah, it's very inspirational to see how they know God. If you look in Psalm 51, this is David, um, in case you were feeling like, you couldn't, just be, you couldn't really be a good enough person to, to be this person who loves God, who, who knows God and loves him. David failed miserably in his life. He was an amazing person after God's own heart. But he failed miserably in his life, ended up taking someone's wife and having adultery with her. And then he killed her husband. 
bad stuff, stuff that we would probably scorn if we heard about it in the news. He'll get, he gets what he deserves, you know, we'd say. But David was that guy. But he was a man after God's own heart. He knew God. In Psalm 51, we read it this week in the Essential 100, is when the prophet Nathan uh, confronts David, and David's response to God reveals such a deep knowledge of God, of really knowing God. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. David believed that God was a God of unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. David knew God had compassion. David knew God had the ability to blot out sins even before the time of Christ. David knew this. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, Literally, O oh God, you who are my God and Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Listen to this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Everything would lead me to believe that God does delight in those things in the Bible, but David knew that it was about the heart, because he knew God. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is just such an amazing passage. We see the heart of someone who knows God, in, in the, especially in the deepest part of their life's failure. They just recount all the things they know about God. These were David's true thoughts about God, and having these thoughts about God rose David up to this place of being someone that, though he had his serious flaws, was known as being a man after God's own heart, because he knew God. He knew God's ways. He knew God's compassion. He knew God's justice. He took it seriously. He didn't think that he should be given a special dispensation of grace. He said, you're right when you judge me. You're a just God, but have compassion on me. And David knew that these qualities of God that he was spouting out were not things that were true of God only in a transient sense. I'm a nice guy, I'll say, maybe. But maybe in 10 years, I'm not going to be such a nice guy. Maybe, in ten, maybe uh, when I'm in a nursing home someday, I'll be that old guy whacking kids with his cane and screaming curse words. We're tr- we change. Sometimes people, are, sometimes people are soft-hearted, and something happens in their life, they become hard-hearted and bitter. We change. We have the quality of love. We have the quality of kindness. God does not change, like shifting shadows. So when we say God is love, we're not saying God is loving. We're saying God, God is love. That's who he is essentially in his being. When we say God is just, we're not saying that's an aspect of who God is. That's who God is. When God is being loving, God is being himself. When God is being just, God is being himself. And he, his, he's that way perfectly all the time. 
So when David is addressing God, he clearly has this vision of God in his mind. And God does have mercy on David, though he does receive judgment. But this is a high view of God. And I want to be, as I'm reading about these characters in the Old Testament, I'm seeing something that is absent in many ways from the modern church, which is probably why I'm drawn to writers who are long dead. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, all of these people that are long gone. Because in our day, this kind of knowledge of God is not common. This kind of reverence for and understanding of who God really is, uh, is not common. We need to get to a place, and this series is all about having our ideas about God correspond to who God actually is. Because you can imagine any God you want and then worship that God. You were created to worship. But there is a true God with true characteristics that are true of him, and we need to understand who he is. And I think that as we understand who God really is, as we, as we bravely step forward into something that not many people are doing today, as we take into account God, I think that our lives, I think that our church will be raised above the norm because we are taking God seriously for who he is. So it's all, this series is all about looking at the things that are true of God and, and, and changing it from the Bible and by the Spirit's power, so that the things that we think about God correspond to who God actually is, rather than thinking about things uh, that are, about God that are not true. I think Tozer said it well. He said, you know, people think that, modern people say, idolatry is when you create a, have a statue and you bow down to the statue. Like, oh, you know, I'm not an idolater. I don't have a statue in my house. That's not true of everyone. Some people do. Some people have statues still, today, in different cultures. But, let, we shouldn't scoff at these people because we have ideas of God that are erroneous that we are worshiping, and it's the same thing. Idolatry of the mind. Believing something about God that is not true, you will, be, you will worship that thing, and it will change who you are. So this whole series is about coming to terms with who God really is, and this is a lofty goal, and I'm ina- inadequate for the job. But I will, I, you know, God led me to do this, so we're doing it. And it's going to be awesome. But I think that when we when we come to know God for who he really is, we can be like a David who is called a man after God's own heart. We can be like a Miriam. We can be like a Deborah. Uh, we can be like, like an Israel, like a Joseph. Look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. That's a man who's after God's heart. He, he, gets, he gets put into slavery. His brothers tried to murder him, but instead they sold him into slavery. They told their dad, oh, he got killed by wild animals. He gets into slavery. For 30 years, he's in slavery, and then he gets promoted because God's favor is on him. And then, you know, the person he's working for, his wife falsely accuses him of, you know, approaching her inappropriately. He goes to jail, and then God takes him out of jail, and he becomes the ruler of Egypt. And then his brothers come to Egypt because the famine is so severe in the land, and they come to him looking for grain uh, for their family. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, David, take your knife and kill them. <laughs> That's what the human is saying, right? The evil, you know, our, our sinful nature is like, yeah, now, you're, now they're going to get what they deserve. And, and, but Joseph is a man after God's own heart. And he understands people and he understands God. He's had 30 years to think about it. He didn't become bitter. What did he do? He said, what you planned for evil, God meant for the good, for the salvation of this whole region so people could have food. You know, don't trouble yourselves about it. I mean, like... This is a guy who knew God. I mean, and maybe at our worst are the times that we reveal what we really believe about God. When David fell to the very bottom and he, had, he was in maybe the worst person we can picture in the news, that's who he was. Murderer, took someone else's wife and killed her husband. 
mean bad. We'd be thinking, this guy deserves to go to jail for life or something. Uh, but at his worst, David knew God, and it lifted him up. And, and Joseph, though he was unjustly sold into slavery and all this stuff, at his worst, he thought the right things about God, and it lifted him up. I want to be someone who thinks the right things about God and is lifted up, someone who knows God. My heart burns to be someone that knows God for who he is and to rise above the popular ideas about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit to come to a right understanding. In that, we're going to see amazing things happen because this is a real God. And, and some of the things about God that we're going to look at are just amazing. You know, um, they all are. Uh, and they're, they're things that are in many ways, beyond our complete comprehension. But that's also another quality that God has, being incomprehensible. <laughs> but by the Spirit, God reveals himself to us, and through Jesus, God reveals himself to us, and God's delight is reveal, to reveal himself to us. He says in Matthew and all the Gospels, the person who seeks me with all their heart is going to find me. So let's become a wholehearted people. Let's seek after who God is. Let's remember that the people that came before us who were called people after God's own heart were total losers like us and that they were not disqualified because God was greater. So let's, let's go forward and take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence through Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are, we've been given such a privilege. Such a privilege. Let's take advantage of it. Let's grab on to God and hold on and not be satisfied with just our salvation, but only be satisfied to know God fully, which will be an itch that will never be fully scratched in this life. Let heaven not be such a shock for you. When you get there, may you know a little bit more about God than, like, I had no idea it was going to be like this. He's, he's much different than I thought he was going to be. Let's know God now. Let's see what he does. We might walk with him, just like in the baptism, in the new life that God has for us. Because all of this is a journey through grace, by faith. It's a gift of God. The knowledge of God has been given to us through Jesus Christ, and it's by the Spirit that we come to take hold of it. I want to bless you. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I bless you, that you might know the Father, that you might know the truth, that you might be raised above the chatter of your own life and of this world into the all-surpassing presence and greatness and transcendence of knowing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, Jesus Christ, the God, Holy Spirit, who dwells within us through faith. May we become a church, Lord Jesus, that pleases you. May we be a church that does not compromise but rises to the occasion in both word and in practice representing the love of the Father to this world, representing Jesus Christ's presence in this world, that we would be a church that is a body for Jesus Christ to lead by his headship, that we might together become the church of Jesus Christ. I bless you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. You are dispersed. Have fellowship.